Well, in the recent years, uh, visits with my parents have begun to include at least one evening of our time together with my dad and I playing through some songs on ukulele. This past week was no exception. And on Thursday night, just before the kids went to bed, we had a family sing-along of Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Jingle Bell Rock, Frosty the Snowman, Jingle Bell Rock again, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Jingle Bell Rock again, and more. It's the time of year, if you haven't noticed, where radio stations near and far have neglected their standard repertoire in favor of a 24-7 rotation of Christmas songs. Now, I have to admit, I can be a bit of an Ebenezer Scrooge when it comes to Christmas music hitting the airwaves too soon. After all, Christmas season doesn't actually start until Christmas Eve and then goes to January 6th. But that's another sermon for another time. Earlier in this service, we lit the first candle of the Advent season. And as Amy told us, uh, reminded us in the welcome, that Advent is a time that prepares us for the celebration of Christmas. It's a time where we remember the people of Israel waiting for the coming Messiah. And it's also a time where we, as God's people, wait for the Messiah to return, where Christ will come again and indeed restore all of creation. It's a season that has songs wrapped up in every celebration uh, that we have together. But what you might not know is that the earliest Christmas songs, some of the ones that we actually still sing today, are acutely preserved for us in the opening chapters of the Gospel of Luke, where there are four songs or four hymns related to the birth of Jesus Christ. The first of which comes in Luke 1, 46 through 55. If you grew up in the Catholic tradition all, or have familiarity with the Anglican Church, then you might have some uh, familiarity with the Latin names of each of these songs. First is Mary's song, which begins, My soul glorifies or magnifies the Lord. Next week, we'll look at Zechariah's song, where Zechariah sang in the Benedictus, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and he has redeemed his people. On the third week of Advent, we'll look at the angels' song that they sang in front of the shepherds, where they declare to the shepherds uh, the coming of Jesus and his birth, where they sing, Gloria in excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And then in the fourth week, of Advent. We'll be skipping ahead a little bit in the story where this old man named Simeon takes baby Jesus in his arms and blesses God saying, you may now dismiss your servant in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation. And so for these next four weeks, the four weeks of Advent leading up to Christmas, we're going to be considering the meaning and the message of these four songs of Christmas as told in the Gospel of Luke. Um, so a couple of notes to, to consider to set the context for each of these songs. Uh, they were sung at a time of national and personal difficulty. This is a time where a foreign nation, Rome, ruled and occupied the land of Israel. 
It was a time of darkness and despair. For centuries, the people of Israel and Judah lived through exile, through foreign occupation, with a long-expected hope that a Messiah would come to bring about the restoration of the kingdom of Israel. Secondly, in the midst of this difficulty and pain, the announcement of what God was about to do in the birth of his son brought incredible encouragement and hope. And in these moments, in these four instances that we're going to look at, we find that these individuals, these people, responded in song. Now today, we are also living in a time of international, national, local, and personal pain. There's an unjust war happening in Ukraine. There's a challenging global economic picture. In our nation, we are constantly bombarded with political tribalism, global health issues, broken families, physical and relational and spiritual religious trauma, displaced people. Yet the story of what God has done in Jesus Christ provides for us encouragement and hope. And like the stories that we're going to be looking at over the course of the next few weeks, when we gather together as God's people, we join our voices in song because of the hope that we have in Jesus, because of what we have seen God do and the promise of what he will do. And so this week we begin with Mary's song. It's often referred to as the Magnificat, because the Latin translation of the Bible, when Mary began singing, she says, my soul glorifies or magnifies the Lord. The word in the, the Latin translation, the Vulgate, uh, is magnificat. And from that, we get the word magnify. So when it says that Mary glorifies the Lord, it means that she sees what God is doing. And she responds in worship. Our story this morning starts in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 through 55. And it sets for us the context of what we traditionally understand to be the beginning of the Christmas narrative. In Luke's telling of the events surrounding the birth of Jesus, we get a window into the moment in time that Mary finds out the role that she gets to play in God's story of redemption. It's quite likely that given the amount of detail of Gabriel's annunciation to Mary, that Luke spoke with Mary personally about the, uh, uh, personally, personally about, uh, the birth as uh, the mother of Jesus. And so here's what we know for sure from Luke about Mary and her background, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Here are a couple of items of note. Mary was an average young girl of a common upbringing from a poor village in Israel. Nazareth bared no geographical significance, no economic significance. It was the middle of nowhere. It was flyover country. We know from the text that Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, who was a working-class carpenter. 
So given the culture of that day, Mary's identity as, as a virgin, her engagement to Joseph, um, we can probably come to a, a good guess that Mary was a teenager. The story continues. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, Mary has no idea why this angel has appeared to her. We, we read that Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. I, I think we tend to kind of romanticize the Christmas story at times. Visits from angels, looking back, reading it, 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 it seems to us, hey, it's just a normal part of the story, right? Well, this was not an everyday occurrence. So Mary is rightfully a, a, a bit nervous, a, a bit confused as to what is going on. But quickly, Gabriel continues. He says, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. Gabriel then tells us five things about this son that she will have. He says, You are to give him the name Jesus. In Hebrew, it's Yeshua, meaning Savior. So he says, don't be afraid. Your child will be your Savior. He will be Jesus. It tells us that he will be great, that he will be called the Son of the Most High, that the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, which is a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, that he will be a king from the line of David. And finally, that he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, that his kingdom will never end. You see, for generations, Mary's people had anxiously waited for the great deliverer that Gabriel describes here. And so in this moment, God is breaking through the silence of the previous 400 years and saying, enough waiting. The Messiah is coming. Yet Mary, understandably, is a bit skeptical about the process. Knowing her own integrity, she responds, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, at this point in the story, perhaps to further open Mary's mind to God's plan, Gabriel goes on to tell her this. He says, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her own age. And she, who is said to be barren, is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. We're then told in the story that Mary goes off to visit her relative, Elizabeth. Now, we don't know the specifics of the reason that she goes to, to visit her. Perhaps she goes to care for Elizabeth as, uh, as it is coming into her third trimester. Perhaps it was to get some sort of empirical evidence that what this angel was saying to her was actually true. Whatever the reason may be, we're told that Mary goes off to visit Elizabeth. Now, we'll hear more about this part of the story, uh, about Elizabeth and her pregnancy, when we look at Zechariah's song next week. Um, but what we do know is that Elizabeth knows that the child that she herself is carrying 
is a, a forerunner, a, a, a preparing the world for the coming of Christ. Her baby would be named John the Baptist. So she knows that her, her child is going to be the one coming before the Christ. So likely she's wondering, who is this Christ? Where is the Christ? The answer is made clear to her in the moment she hears Mary's hello. At the sound of Mary's voice, we're told that the baby in Elizabeth leaps in her womb, as if to say, he's here. The Christ is here. And so filled with the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth says to Mary, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. So all of this provides for us the context of Mary's Christmas song. Its stanzas reveal that Mary is an example of somebody who was open and receptive to serving God according to his plan for her life. And notice here how Mary responds to Elizabeth's praise. She responds with this song. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. There's a couple of things that we can learn from Mary's reaction. First, we can learn humility. When we do something good, it's easy. Uh, or when we're good at something or we serve somebody, it's easy to, to puff ourselves up and think highly of ourselves, right? We've discussed this over the course of the last three weeks in our previous sermon series. Um, it's, it's a common misconception when thinking about Mary to think that she deserved to be chosen. That because she was devout, virtuous, and humble, she was chosen to, to be the one to carry Jesus. But we see in Mary's response that this is not the case. While these are certainly qualities and traits that we do see in Mary, the news that she receives, uh, uh, they are not things that earned her this. We see that in her response of worship. See, we cannot earn God's favor. It's true for us today, and it was true for Mary. Mary was favored because God set his undeserved grace upon her. Mary recognized this. And while we see this in her obedience, we can see that in her confusion as well. You see, Mary doesn't presume to have earned her favor with God. She recognizes that God has not shown her favor because she is special, but rather she is special because of God's favor. And the same is true for us today. 
To this day, God continues to extend to us his favor, uh, his favor, and it's not anything that we can earn or achieve. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 3 that all have sinned fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came in Christ Jesus. It's nothing that we can earn, but rather we must have the humility to recognize God's favor is because of his unconditional love. Mary displays this type of humility in her response. We can also learn from Mary's faith. Mary responds with impeccable faith. It's important to pause and take note of the fact that favor with God doesn't mean things are going to be easy. There's times when saying yes to God is easy, but it's not a promise. In fact, sometimes saying yes to God is incredibly challenging, and that was true for Mary here in this instance. For Mary, finding favor with God means being unfavored in the eyes of her surrounding community. Mary is about to become an engaged teenager, pregnant before her wedding with a child that doesn't belong to her husband-to-be. And so Mary's trust meant that she knew the Lord so well that she was compelled by a firm belief in his love, character, reliability, and strength to devote her all to him in the confident expectation that everything would turn out just as he had promised. When God gives you the opportunity to participate with him in moving his purposes towards completion, we have a choice to make. What if we say no? For sure, God's ultimate purposes cannot and will not be frustrated. It could simply mean that we exclude ourselves from participating in what God is doing. Mary could have said no to God. God doesn't force us to follow him. But Mary isn't operating out of blind faith here either. Her confidence in what God will do is based on what he has already done. And so in her song, Mary recites a number of things that God has already done in response to things which back in the Old Testament he said that he would do. You'll find those on the screen here. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. All of these references have direct ties to instances in the Old Testament. And so what gave, gave Mary confidence to do what God was asking her to do was the sense that he had already fulfilled his promises in the past. And so she figured if God was faithful then, he'll be, fa he'll be faithful now. There might be times where we can't clearly see what God will do, or even occasions when we can't figure out what he's doing. But there, aren't, there will never be times where we can't look back to what he has done in history and in our own experiences. So Mary's life is a testimony and an example to our own lives. She had a purpose from God, and her purpose was to bring God to this world in the flesh. And God has given each of us a purpose. And like Mary, we are being invited into continuing God's redeeming work on this earth. 
We need only respond in humility and faith. Let us pray. God of majesty, you are holy. And we thank you for Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who you sent into this world to satisfy the longings of your people for a Savior. To bring freedom to the captives of sin and to establish justice for the oppressed. We thank you that he came among us as one of us, taking on human flesh and sharing in human suffering. And Lord, we rejoice that in his death and rising again, you set before us the promise of a new life, the certain hope of a heavenly home where we will sit at the table with Christ, our host. We thank you for the example of Mary, for her humility and her faith. We pray that we might learn to show that same humility, to show that same faith in you as you invite us into your kingdom work that we might be people who desire to see more of your kingdom here on this earth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.